mentioned at the beginning of the service, we are now in the, the season of the church year called Lent. And what we focus on during Lent uh, is we take a really deep look at who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do for you and for me. It's something that we focus on every Sunday. We always focus on who our Savior is and what He's done for us. But it's during this time that we, we stop and we reflect and we take a deeper longer and harder look at who Jesus is. And, it's, and what we're doing is we're looking at this series called The Jesus, not that I want, but what I need. Many people want a Savior. Many people want Jesus. But they want Jesus to save them from the calamities of this world, save them from war, save them from heartache, save them from the, the physical ailments that they have. And Jesus can do that. And he does. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. But that's not the Savior we ultimately need. Maybe the one we want, but it's not the Savior that we need. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to look at Jesus, the Savior I need. I don't think any of us question whether we need a Savior or not. You look around the world and you see evil everywhere. You turn on the news at night, you scroll through Twitter, you, you log on to your favorite websites where you get the news, and what do you see? Evil. You see war. You see heartbreak. You see death. You see all kinds of evil in this world, and it makes you think, we need a Savior. We need a Savior. Where does all that evil come from? Yes, it comes from sinful people doing sinful things. We are responsible for our own actions. People are responsible for themselves. And yet, there's the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He prowls around and tempts and deceives and lies and leads us into all kinds of selfishness and pride. There are many people in this world who scoff at the idea of a devil. And yet you know that's exactly what he wants. The devil wants two things for you. He either wants one, for you to be so obsessed with him that you invite him into your life, or to scoff at the idea of a devil, think a devil doesn't exist, because that when you're not expecting him, he can overtake you. The devil is a very real being, and he is responsible for all the wars in this world. He's responsible for leading people to selfishness and break up relationships. He is responsible for the selfishness in people's lives. He's responsible for all the thefts and all the evil in this world. He tempts, deceives, and lies people into those actions. Wouldn't it be great if he just died? if he just no longer existed? Wouldn't it be great if we had a Savior who defeated him in a, much, in a similar way that Mario defeats Bowser? Absolutely. And what we get to do today is we get to look at a section of Scripture that shows how Jesus came to battle, fight, and defeat the devil. But one question I want going on in our minds as we go through this is, what if Jesus didn't win this battle? 
What would that mean for you and me? We're in Matthew chapter 4 today. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Matthew chapter 4, it's the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's 30 years old. He just was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And as Jesus was coming out of the Jordan River after being baptized, an incredible thing happened. The the heavens broke open. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove on Jesus. And the voice from heaven was God the Father saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You talk about a mountaintop experience. Uh, none of us have experienced that, but imagine if, if after we baptize somebody, if God spoke from heaven, saying, this is my son, this is my daughter whom I love, with her, with him, I am well pleased. It would be an incredible moment. Jesus experienced that. The very next moment is Matthew chapter 4, and here's what we're told. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Stop right there. Jesus gets brought from this mountaintop experience out to the wilderness. Out to be by himself and fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Do you know the emotional toll that that had to take on Jesus? Along with the physical toll. I I have a hard time... uh, I probably shouldn't say this right now, but I'm going to. Uh, I have a hard time making it from breakfast until 1 p.m. on Sundays without eating. Now imagine going 40 days without eating how irritable we would be, how hungry we would be. And there's no one else around Jesus. He's in the wilderness by himself, and along comes the devil to tempt, to deceive, to lead astray. And he comes and he throws his first punch. He says, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Seems pretty harmless, doesn't it? But what's behind the temptation? Jesus, you're the Son of God. God just told you in your baptism that you are His Son, whom He loves with Him, with you. He's well pleased. And if that's the case, why are you going through the wilderness? Why are you suffering? Why are you going through this time where there seems to be no end, and you're hungry, and you're suffering, Where's God? Can you trust Him when He says that you are His Son? Because He's not taking care of you like a father takes care of his son. Can you trust God? Has the devil ever got you with that one? Many of us have been through the wilderness And if you haven't, you probably will at some point in your life where there's no one around, it seems, where you're suffering and there's no end in sight. And you pray and you pray and you pray and God's not delivering you and and Satan comes along in those moments and says, are you really God's child? If so, 
Why is he making you go through this? Are you really God's child? Because you've had this medical issue for so long, and you've gone to doctor, to doctor, to doctor, and they can't figure it out. And you've prayed. Oh, how you've prayed during this time. But God seems to be silent. Can you trust him? You look and he says, look at the stack of bills that you have. Look at the debt that you're in. You've tried to rework things. You've prayed about it. You've asked God to help. God's not responding. Can you trust him? You've had relationship issues and you've tried to be the bigger person. You've humbled yourself. You're, you're serving. You're doing your duty that God has called you to do and you've prayed and you've prayed that he work a miracle, but it's getting worse. When's this going to end? Can you really trust God? That is the temptation that Satan throws at Jesus. When we go through the wilderness, can we trust God? And I don't know about you, but he gets me with that one. And it's the punch that he threw at, his, at our Savior Jesus. The only thing is here's how Jesus responded. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. How does Jesus respond? He says, Satan, here's what God says. I'm not sustained by bread. I'm sustained by the promises of God. I'm sustained by the word of God that comes from his mouth. And what has God said? That he is a good God. That he is gracious and compassionate. He's loving. God's word says that he's going to take even the darkness of this world and work it for my good. According to Romans chapter 8. My God promises that he will never waste the darkness that I'm going through. He'll never waste the wilderness that I'm going through. But he will take it and use it for my good. My God is a good God, Satan. That's what the promises of God's word says. And that is what sustains me. I will not question his love. Because I'm sustained by his promises. And with that... Jesus ducked his punch and landed his own. But Satan wasn't done. Here's what we're told. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So Satan comes and throws another punch. He leads Jesus up to the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem and he says, hey, if you're the son of God, just jump, Jesus. Just jump. Do it. Prove God's love for you. And you're, you're into quoting scripture, right, Jesus? Here's a verse for you. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. You won't even strike your foot. That's his promise. So jump. What is this temptation? Twisting of Scripture. Ripping Scripture out of context and using it for your own wants 
and desires and to test our God. Has Satan never got you with this one? It did with her. I remember having a conversation with a woman about the Bible, about spirituality, about, about forgiveness through Jesus. And her question was, will Jesus forgive people who have led a, a really bad life of sin? And I said, absolutely. Absolutely he will. And she said, well then, I'm, I have to really make sure to never sin again, right? And I said, well, the reality is you're going to sin because you're human. And she asked this. I, 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 she was brave and honest and said, well, let me ask you. If Jesus is just going to forgive me tomorrow, why should I stop sleeping around? Point blank direct question. And it seems like a good one until you realize that that's ripping Scripture out of context. Because there's so many other passages in Scripture, like Romans chapter 7, where Paul says, should we sin that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can I live in sin any longer? Twisting of Scripture. Has he ever got you with that one? God is love, the Bible says. Direct quote. God is love. And that means that God is tolerant. At least that's what we like to believe. Tolerant of my lifestyle. Tolerant of the selfish decisions I make. Tolerant of how I am. He just needs to accept me, sin and all, because God is love. We twist Scripture and we put God to the test and that's the temptation here lying before Jesus that Satan just threw at Jesus. But how does Jesus respond? He said, Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus said, I'm not going to twist scripture, Satan. You're quoting scripture and you're quoting out of context. Instead, Jesus said, I'm going to interpret scripture using scripture in light of scripture. How does the verse fit into the chapter? How does the chapter fit into the book? How does the book fit into the overall picture, context of Scripture? I'm not going to twist it and put God to the test because I love God's Word. I treasure God's Word, and I will keep God's Word, is what Jesus said. And with that, Jesus ducked another punch and landed another one. But the devil had one more temptation, one more sucker punch, and it might just be the toughest. Here's what we're told. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. What is the temptation here? Imagine being Jesus. Seeing all the people of the world. And Satan says, I'll lay down my arms. I will surrender. I will wave the white flag. I will stop fighting you. And you don't even have to suffer and die, Jesus. You don't have to go through any pain. Just bow down and worship me. You came to save them after all, right? I'm giving you an out. All you have to do is compromise your faith. Bow down and worship me. Satan loves to get you and me with this one. 
People will like you. He will love you. She will love you. She'll want you. The boss will hire you. Your kid can make the team. All you have to do is compromise your honesty, your integrity, your purity, your morality. All you have to do is compromise your faith. That God is your number one. Bow down and worship me. Jesus responded, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Jesus said, You're not going to get me, Satan. He dodged it and landed his knockout punch on the devil, quoting scripture and saying, God is my number one. I will not give in to this short-term pleasure to compromise my faith. I'm going to stand firm because God is my first and foremost, and even if I have to go through suffering and pain for him, he's going to remain my number one. Away from me, Satan. And Satan goes away. So what are we to make of this? What are we to take away? Because unfortunately, what we see is that the devil wasn't killed. He wasn't destroyed. Like Mario destroys Bowser, He's still prowling the world, roaming the world, trying to deceive you and me. So what's the takeaway? Well, maybe Jesus is the Savior that I need that shows me how. Jesus was tempted three times, and three times he responds with Scripture. And so maybe, maybe Jesus is, is showing me how to be saved. There's some value in that. There's some value in in learning Scripture, memorizing Scripture, surrounding yourself with Scripture so that when the moment of temptation comes, you can throw out your sword of the Word of God and defeat the devil and defeat the temptation. But let's not make this into a what would Jesus do, a WWJD section of Scripture, because it's far more powerful than that. And in fact, it's your point today, your one and only point. Jesus is the perfect Savior. He's perfect. He never once fell into temptation. He never once fell into sin. He was holy in every single way. The book of Hebrews says this, that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. You go back to the beginning, and what was that question? What if Jesus didn't win? But let's not even ask that. What if Jesus went two for one, two out of three? Ah, he, he defeated Satan two times, but the third time he, he lost. It's a pretty good record, right? You get into the Hall of Fame in, in the MLB with an average of two, two out of every three, you got a hit. But do you know what the problem is? If Jesus just sinned once, your salvation is lost. Because then Jesus would die on the cross, and what would he be? He would be just another sinner dying. But Jesus wasn't a sinner. Jesus never gave in to a single temptation. And that is good news for you and me, because when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, it wasn't just another sinner dying. It was the shedding of the holy, perfect blood of your Savior Jesus. And not only in that moment did did Jesus forgive your sin, but he filled you with his perfection. 
You see, in order to enter heaven, in order to, to stand in God's presence, you can't just have your sins gone and you be a spiritual neutral. We need perfection before God. We need our sin forgiven and perfection restored. And that's what Jesus did through his active obedience. By never sinning, uh, uh, never falling into temptation, he never sinned once and he was the perfect Savior. And he restored to you the perfection before God that you and I need. That's what the Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when, when it says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who knew no sin, God credited him with our sin, so that through him you and I have righteousness, perfection before God. How does this play out in your life? When you go to bed at night, what does God look and say about you? Your Father in heaven looks down at you and he says, through Jesus, because of Jesus, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. He looks down at you and says, because of Jesus, you are my daughter whom I love. With you I am well pleased. He looks down on you and takes great delight because he sees Jesus in you. He sees Jesus through you. He looks down from heaven and he sees somebody who's never twisted Scripture, but somebody who loves Scripture, keeps Scripture, treasures Scripture. He looks at you, and he never sees somebody who compromises their integrity, their honesty, their purity, their, their morality. But he sees you perfectly loving him above all things. He looks at you, and he sees Jesus. He sees somebody who's never questioned his love as you go through the wilderness. Because of Jesus, your status in heaven has changed from sinner, not to spiritual neutral, but to saint, perfect one in your Savior Jesus. This is the Savior we need. If the devil would have been killed, we still couldn't enter heaven. But you have perfection through your Savior Jesus, and God has changed your status forever in heaven. You have the perfection you need because of him. This is a Savior that we need. And as we grow in that message, we realize it's a Savior that we want. This Lenten season, let's grow in Him. Grow in what He's done for us. He's forgiven our sins through shedding His blood, but He's also restored to you the perfect status that we need, that Adam and Eve lost for us. It has been restored through your Savior. As we grow in that message, we will have peace and joy now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise and thank you for your act of obedience, for defeating the devil uh, through uh, all of his temptations. You were perfect. And because of that, we stand perfect before you forever. We thank you for changing our status and giving us Jesus' status so that as we stand in heaven, our status uh, in your halls, in your home, are perfect. Help us to live this out. Help us to grow in this message. And through this message, bring us peace. In your name we pray. Amen.